Did you know that one of the foremost defenders of Christianity in America today is a former drug addict and rock and roll musician who was deeply involved in the New Age movement? Stay tuned for an interview with Eric Barger. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end-time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. I am delighted to have as my special guest on this program the founder and director of Take a Stand Ministries. His name is Eric Barger. Eric, welcome to Christ in Prophecy. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate it. We're glad that. to have you down here in God's country in Texas. Because, <laughs> Eric, you're from Seattle, Washington area, right? Well, that's that's where I'm living now. Our ministry is still headquartered in Dallas, or oh, the Dallas okay. area, but it's quite a commute from Seattle to Dallas. Well, it certainly <laughs> is. Okay, we'll tell people more about that a little later on. I'm also delighted to have my colleague Nathan Jones with us to help with the interview with Eric. Nathan is our web minister who daily communicates the gospel to people literally all over the world. He also responds to questions and often finds himself defending the faith. In that regard, our guest, Eric Barger, is considered to be one of the foremost defenders of the faith in Christendom today. Dr. James Kennedy once told his congregation, everyone needs to read Eric Barger's insights. And the late national radio host Marlon Maddox called Eric one of the utmost authorities on the cults, the New Age, and rock music today. Eric, your field of expertise is called apologetics. And I have found that for the average Christian, that is a very strange word, almost a scary word. And they immediately react by thinking, well, now does this guy go around apologizing for the Christian faith? What does it mean <laughs> to be an expert in the field of apologetics? What is apologetics? Uh, I try to explain that every time I speak or mention that word, you know, because there's always somebody out there that doesn't understand if I'm in a church or conference. Uh, apologetics is the Bible school term for the defense of the faith. In fact, the, the word that we get the English word apologetics from is found eight times in the New Testament. It's apologia. Maybe the most famous one is First Peter 315, that we're to be ready to give every man an answer. And that's oh, the yes. word apologetics okay. or apologia. Okay. So we're to be able to defend the faith. And that's what apologetics is, the All defense right. of the faith. Okay. So um, where do we go from there? What, what do you do in apologetics? Right? But specifically, as you go around the country and you're talking to people, what do you do? Well, I'm going to throw out another term to you, polemics. Uh, polemics is oftentimes exposing other religions for being worthless to save someone. So polemics and apologetics move together. Apologetics is understanding Christianity and being able to defend that and to explain it to the culture in such a way that people will understand orthodox biblical Christianity. Polemics then is the expose about false cults. And that's a lot of what I do is dealing with cults, New Age movement, the occult, and I've written about all those things and, of course, speak about them full-time. This is our 25th anniversary of full-time traveling ministry, so wow. I've been out there doing it quite a while. Well, congratulations to you. And as you travel around, what do you find, what aspect of Christianity do you find needs the most defense? Sound doctrine. I mean, we see at church today many people who believe they go to church every week. But I think there's a void in, in pr uh, preaching and teaching the sound understanding 
of the, the, the elements of Christianity that make up Christianity, the virgin birth, the blood atonement, salvation by grace, the inerrancy of the scripture, uh, who, who God is, who Jesus is. I mean, we, we don't have a lot of teaching like that today. There is some, and of course, a lot of pastors, they are preaching that all the time. But uh, I think even in evangelical circles, there is a void on these things, and I'm concerned about that. Yes, I am too, to the point that I think the attitude among even evangelicals today is that doctrine really isn't all that important. But it is isn't it? It is. Uh, The word doctrine is used 50 times in the scriptures and we ought to understand that if we don't have that, if we don't understand good sound biblical doctrine, then really we're we're game for the cults and we're game to become cultists ourselves if if indeed. I have a friend in uh, Lexington, Kentucky who grew up in the Jehovah's Witnesses and uh, she says what most people do not realize is that most of the people that we converted in the years I was there were Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterians and so forth, people who just grew up as cultural Christians but really didn't know anything about the faith, could not defend anything. They just inherited the faith and that was it. That's it. If we don't know what we believe when the storms hit us or when other religions uh, are before us and confronting us saying that they're the way, we won't know what to say. Not only will we, we not be any good to get, get through to them, to present the real Jesus to them who can save them eternally, but we'll fall prey to it too. And the Mormon church is right there. The Mormon church has a huge promotional campaign on to try to appear like a more enlightened denomination today. Mm-hmm. And, and they, uh, they are preying on Christians who don't know their doctrines. Well, when people tell me that doctrine is really not all that important, one of the things that immediately comes to mind is the doctrine, for example, of the resurrection of Jesus. It's amazing how many Christian leaders there are today who would even deny the resurrection of Jesus. And, and you know, if, we, if He wasn't resurrected, we don't have a faith. That's right. We better find another religion because if He could have fulfilled all the other prophecies in the Scripture about the Messiah, but if He didn't raise from the grave, He wasn't the one. And perhaps the doctrine that uh, has been dismissed the most as just completely irrelevant is the doctrine of the virgin birth. Correct. But that's an important doctrine. It is. I mean, Jesus was God in the flesh. Well, how can you teach doctrine if you consider that the Bible isn't inerrant? If the Bible is filled with errors, then you can't teach doctrine. So you fall back to what the preachers seem to be falling back in is that self-help. It's all about you and not about God. And every sermon is about you. Too too much of the preaching today is all about the here and now not about eternity That's and yeah, you can yeah, you can you can teach doctrine but it won't be right doctrine mm-hmm. and when it, the virgin birth and the resurrection in my opinion are the two most attacked doctrines oh, they are. Uh, the ones that are are, are uh, marginalized uh, the virgin birth, for example, uh, boy, if he wasn't born of a virgin, then we've got errors in the scripture because Matthew chapter one is very clear he was born of a virgin. Isaiah talks about it, that that was one of their prerequisites for the Messiah. So he was, either he was or he wasn't. And the same is true with the resurrection. Either he was or he wasn't. And these are two things that I, I detail and talk about. We in have depth. a major Christian university here in the Dallas area. And a few years ago, the Professor Emeritus of New Testament at that university gave an Easter sermon. And it was so revolutionary, they put the entire sermon in the Dallas Morning News because his sermon was this. After Jesus died, the disciples sat around the table and they just remembered things he said. It was kind of like the followers of Martin Luther King. After he died, they sat around, drank coffee, said, you remember when Martin said this? You remember when Martin said this? And as they talked about Martin, he came alive in their hearts. And that's all there was, the resurrection. He just came alive in their hearts. So much for literal interpretation. It, it kind of sounds like Oprah. This is a feeling experience and not a believing experience. And we'll talk about that and we're going to talk about her yes, more we and, are, uh, we later are, on. We sure are. We're, we're talking about things right now that we're going to get into more depth in the next a few programs here. So. Okay.
Welcome back to Christ and Prophecy and our interview with uh, Eric Barger, who is the founder and director of Take a Stand Ministries. Nathan, why don't you start off this segment with a question? Sure. Well, I've been wondering since Dr. Reagan said that you were into drugs and rock and roll and, and not kind of lifestyle, and now here you are, a leader in <laughs> apologetics. How did you make that transition from then to now? Like, how, what's your background? <laughs> well, let me yeah. look at my watch first. <laughs> we'll see how much time we've got for that. But, uh, well, it was quite a uh, quite a, a trek, if you will, Sounds to make it from one place to another. But uh, God had His way. My wife and I met each other when I was producing records and I was playing in a rock band. We were both drug addicts. We were both involved in New Age occultism. When I met my, my wife, she had a case full of witchcraft books. Oh my! <laughs> I was throwing the I Ching and, and the Arrow sticks and reading my astrology chart faithfully, religiously, hmm. and so that's where we were. Uh, in the process of our marriage, nearly falling apart. And having uh, two daughters that my wife was very, you know, she was concerned for them. And I, I wasn't being a father at all. I was out living the rock and roll lifestyle. But in that process, we found a Christian marriage counselor. Uh, it, it happened by me closing my eyes and putting my, my finger down in a phone book. But it turned out to be a true Christian counselor. That's right. And, you know, in Seattle in the late 70s, who knows what you might get under religious counselors. Oh, yeah. It's true today. But back then, Even, that yeah. was the hotbed of New Age philosophy yeah. in those days. And, uh, well, still is to a certain extent today. But anyway, so that's, that's what happened. We picked out a marriage counselor. After about the third visit, I didn't want to go back anymore. Because I was under what I now understand as conviction. Okay. You know, I, didn't wanna, I did not want to go back anymore. But she kept going. She bought a Bible. She received Christ. I was there when the marriage counselor actually led her through the sinner's prayer. She wow. confessed Jesus. You'd have thought that a guy like me would have figured out, maybe it's good for me too. Instead, I got her out to the car, lit up a joint, blew smoke in her face, went home, packed a suitcase, and left for three weeks. I mean, that's where I was at. I did not want this really. She wants to be a Jesus freak, not with me. That's where I was coming from. In those three weeks, she found a little church around the corner from our house. She'd gone to starting a Bible study with some friends that she knew that were Christians, and suddenly she was hooked up with them. And uh, so I came back home. You'd have thought then I would have got saved when I walk in the kitchen and see the Apostle Paul's sister cooking dinner. <laughs> but it didn't work out like that. For two years, I put her through living hell. Uh. And she stuck it out. She stayed with me. She was about to the end of her rope. On a rainy, cold Friday night in February 1981, uh, she found my car sitting outside one of my girlfriend's houses. And remember, if you're in the rock music industry, it's kind of like you can do your own thing. and yeah. There's no restraints, no rules. It's complete anarchy to yourself. You, whatever you want, hedonism is the rule. And uh, in the process of all that, I'd overdosed on cocaine that weekend, three-day binge on cocaine, and I was a heavy drug user. I'd used drugs for 14 years, but I was three and a half years addicted to cocaine, $1,000, $1,500 a week, in that, somewhere in that neighborhood. And, and mind you now, I'm, re, I'm producing records. I'm, I've got what my peers all call as good. I'm driving around a really nice car, and I'm, um, I've got way too much money and too many credit cards for a guy my age and no sense at all with what to do. You know, so I have what the world calls good, and yet I'm so empty inside. I'm pouring these drugs in, trying to hide the pain, trying to cover it up. Well, a three, three-day binge on cocaine, long story to how it came to this, but on a rainy, cold Sunday night, that whole weekend was stormy in Seattle, the Sunday night, I went to our house to ask her for a divorce. And in the process of it all, because of a book she had bought in, in the bookstore to keep her mind off me, things she had marked in that book, I opened it up and I saw where it said, God hates divorce, and I fell on the floor and God got a hold of me. And, wow. and she came down off that couch and put her arms around me and began to hug me and to 
to console me. And I look back at that picture and I think that's, that is Jesus hugging the adulterous drug addict through his wife. And I remember, she says, though I don't remember, but I remember her telling me later on because remember, she's straightened out. She's gotten saved. She's off drugs. Your daughters too? She smoked. She drank. She did all those things. My daughters weren't involved. They were gone at that point. They were uh, at grandma's house, thankfully, you know, so they didn't see any of this. But at three or four in the morning, uh, and really, I'm cutting so many corners off the testimony. I encourage people to go to the website and read or listen to it. We have it in both formats on our website. Um, I finally confessed Christ, and, and I just began to say, Praise God, forgive Lord. me. And Praise I believe that was the spot where Jesus came in my life and my sins were forgiven. The next morning, we go to see our marriage counselor. And uh, when he prayed with me and prayed for me that morning, something happened that I can't explain People say that God does new miracles today. I'm a walking miracle. I never went through any rehab, any drug withdrawals. Uh, I was delivered that morning. I never went back. I mean, that's what God did for me. Now, God uses drug rehab. Don't get me wrong. And I don't want anybody to think out there that there's something wrong with them, that they missed it somehow or that God doesn't love them. But he delivered me quickly and, and uh, called us into ministry within just a couple of years, which I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't tell anybody Funny to Funny you should that. mention miracles because as you were telling the story, I was sitting there thinking about the fact that I grew up in a church that taught that the age of miracles ceased in the first century. And Hey, the greatest miracles God performs today are the miracles of transformation in lives like He transformed your life. Oh, for sure. How did you get there from that point to into ministry, though? I mean, hey, that's a big jump. You didn't go out and start preaching the gospel the next day, did you? No, 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 no. I was no theological giant, that's for sure. But I began to read the Scripture like crazy. And I had good mentoring. The marriage counselor was a good mentor to me. He was a solid. He'd been a pastor. And he was doing marriage counseling, selling real estate, but doing marriage counseling in his real estate office. He didn't have a congregation to preach to on Sunday, so he got me every Tuesday, you know, and uh, began to um, minister to me and and, uh, really poured himself into me. Uh, I'll tell you how it happened. I was listening to Christian radio voraciously, listening to everything out there, you know, that I'm just hungry for God and hearing the, the, the great teachers at that point in time. But there was a station in Seattle where I heard Walter Martin every day, and I heard Jay Vernon McGee and all the great teachers, you know. And, and uh, But at night they had these people on that I, I was going, that's not Christian. I mean, I knew a little bit to know that wasn't it. They had a known cultist on, on the radio at night. And so I made an appointment with the station manager. I called up, and I'm going to go down there and straighten him out. Maybe they really don't know. And it was from that instance, meeting the owner of the station and challenging him about some of the programs he had on, a week later, they called me and said, how would you like to have a program on the air? Whoa. Really? Isn't it amazing how God works? The owner of the station told me, he said, nobody's ever challenged anything I've done in 30 years of radio in this town. He owned the number one rock and roll radio oh, station my. in the Northwest as well. By the way, that was the first time I ever realized that just because it says it's Christian doesn't mean it is. That's right. Because yeah. I walked in and they told me there's no theological test to, to buy radio time on the station. Which you had actually grown up, though, in a Christian family, hadn't you? Yeah. Gone to church and all, but yeah. cultural Christian. Yeah, my, my what grandparents. What does that mean to be a cultural Christian? Well, my grandparents took me to church, and I was baptized against my will when I was about two, yeah. that yeah. kind of thing, you know. And I heard all about the things 
in Scripture. I heard all about the great stories in the Bible, heard all about Jesus, uh, sang in the choir, uh, was in the kids' plays at Vacation Bible School, but I didn't know Jesus. And there's a lot of people watching us right now, right now that yes. by all of their works, by all the good stuff they do, by the even by the Bible they might read every day, even by the prayers they might pray, they think that does it. But none of that does it until you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and that you're a sinner and you turn from your sins in repentance and follow after Him. We, we and get, nobody ever taught that We get you. emails like that all the time. He'll say, well, I've, I've been teaching Sunday School and Presbyterian church for the last 20 years. I just got saved. I've been an elder in the Methodist church for so many years. I just got saved. Uh, you know, it, 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 one thing to go to church, another thing to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It, it is. And that's the whole key right there. And I just encourage anybody watching right now that uh, if you do all this Christian stuff, it's just so many good works. But none of those things can absolve our sins. None of those things can can take us to heaven. None of that makes, you, makes us born again. So, very quickly, you took the you started doing the radio program then? Did the radio program and for two years. And during that period in time, I started doing the seminars, and I was also a youth pastor in a local must church. You had to study like pastor. mad during that time. Oh, I did. But you know, I started doing a one-night seminar in rock music, wherever a door might be open, <laughs> and now it's turned into about 40 different messages that we have full-blown PowerPoint for, and I'm, I'm kind of a t- mixture of teacher and evangelist. Well, I want to talk with you for a few minutes about rock music, okay? Great. Erica, you were talking about how music was such a central part of your life, and uh, I was reading some articles on your website, and we're going to tell people later on where your website is, because it's just full of wonderful articles. And I was reading an article about uh, music, and you, you made a comment that the rock and roll music of the 50s is nothing compared to what we're exposed to today. Elaborate on that point. Well, the, the music may be somewhat similar in the way it's constructed chord-wise, but that's about it, because the lifestyle was the thing that got me. Um, I was being role modeled by the rock musicians. And and you know what? We need to go back just for a second, revisit my testimony, because I was going to church as a child, did all those things. But when I started playing in bands on Friday and Saturday night, suddenly I wasn't going to church on Sunday morning. And even if a person is not an authentic born-again Christian, but yet just a church member, uh, if the devil can separate you from Christian fellowship, he's got you right where he wants he's got you. got you isolated. Exactly. Right. So by the time I was 16, I was the only kid in my high school taking drugs. Now, mind you, this is 1966 wow. at this point in time. Yeah. Uh, I was the first kid to get kicked out of my high school for having hair touch his ears. <laughs> to give you an idea where that was the era I lived in. And so we lived in a much more conservative era in general. But as you all know, something happened in the 60s uh, with the, you know, the summer of love and all the stuff that took place. And it was actually the summer of hedonism, but that's it was called the summer Woodstock. of love. Yeah, exactly. The Woodstock was 67. But you, know, you look back and you look at that era and realize that the, the music wasn't so much as the lifestyle and the rebellion and the anarchy that was being brought in. The most rebellious song on the radio when I was a little, little boy was probably It's My Party and I'll Cry If I Want To. <laughs> yeah, right. But look, look at today where you've got uh, you know drugs and sex is the main issue in the music today and uh, a rebellion advocation and counterculture. Advocation of violence, advocation of rape. Violence, murder. I mean, these are the things being sung about. And advocating it. Exactly. This Killing is, a police. This isn't just telling a story about violence. This is saying Go and do it. And whether our kids are being 
whether they're going and doing it or it's just been part of the culture in it, you listen to that enough and you begin to realize that, that the culture is beginning to act these things out. Oh, yes. You yes. know. Reminds me of, of the film industry and all of their violence and immorality in films. And then they come back and say, oh, you think that's going to imp- have an impact on somebody just watching a two-hour movie? Hey, People pay millions of dollars for a one-minute ad, yeah. which can affect behavior. Yeah, and advertising works, so they wouldn't be doing it. <laughs> Nobody be spending that money at the Super Bowl if people you can weren't. Imagine what a two and a half hour movie does. Sure, uh, it's affected the, video games. Well, I was going to say Grand that next. Auto. Exactly. They've done studies, and they're showing that people, after playing this game, they have these urges to run people over and, and when yeah. they're driving. And yeah, video games, and of course, the internet that has a little bit of all that involved. You know, he's talking about music in the '60s and all. I remember when the Beatles came to the United States, and they seemed uh, so innocent and uh, uh, so much fun and all that. But I do remember something that I did not understand at the time. I remember when they came out with that album where they're all standing around the grave of the Beatles. Well, that was really a symbol symbol of the fact that they were changing their whole course, that they were going to go into Eastern, mystical experiences and bring that into the culture. I've said for years that I don't think we would have the the New Age movement in the same effect that we have it today had it not been integrated into the culture through the Beatles and the work of the Beach Boys and a couple of major actors and actresses who uh, who really westernized those things, brought the Maharishi Mahashoggi uh, to America. You know, Transcendental Meditation became the... the um, uh, the standard, you know, to those people and right. to that era. That's probably what got me involved with looking to Eastern mysticism for a religion instead of looking to the, my basis in Christianity, which I had a basis in. Uh, the Beatles and Beach Boys and some of the other groups in that era, and of course, we all look back to that. The people who are being affected by that are now our presidents and congressmen and senators and judges, and that may be part of the problem we've got in the culture is the permissiveness of that time and the lack of standard where the anchor for where truth and right and wrong are have been moved so greatly that we can't figure out where truth is anymore. I was I was looking forward here. I don't know what I did. I misplaced it someplace. But I had the uh, lyrics of John Lennon's song, Imagine, which is a very, very famous and popular song. And it seems so innocent. But you go through it and it says, just imagine a world without religion a world where there's no possessions, a world where there's no nationalism, and we would just have peace and it'd be so wonderful. Basically what he's saying is be an atheist, be a globalist, be a socialist, and everything's going to be wonderful and hunky-dory and all. Yeah, imagine there's no God. Imagine there's no God. Yeah. No, no standards. You are your own God. And of course, that's New Age philosophy. That's the bottom line for humanism, which would never claim that there's a God anyway, but they become their own God by saying there is none. And the New Age movement, which of course is looking for spiritual experiences through Eastern mystic philosophies. Well, I think it's so important for parents to be aware of what kids are listening to, what their children are listening to. I don't think most parents are really aware of what they're listening well, to. Well, I've said for a long time, I think that uh, if a child or a teenager lives in your home under your roof, it's your responsibility to find out what's going on in their room. I will never forget uh, after a a meeting in Saskatchewan one night many years ago, maybe 20 years ago, where a group of ladies came to the altar with a lady who was so broken she could barely walk up there herself and she's crying. And I came down, we were finished with the meeting, I came down off the platform and I said to one of the ladies, what is wrong with this lady? What's going on here? And they said, well, her son committed suicide. And uh, I said, what happened? And she said, well, she hadn't been in his room in two years. 
And when they broke the door down, they found him dead with the shotgun. But they found the ceremonial knives. They, uh-huh. The room was painted black. They had he had all the occult books. He had a pentagram painted on the floor. They didn't had no idea he was practicing the occult. Maybe Which Satanism. Happened in Russia recently. Really, the father said, "Well, it's okay that my son is is just hanging out in graveyards." But they stabbed their fellow four goth friends something like 666 times, and then wow. ate their body parts and buried them with a crucified mouse. And the parents were like, I hadn't this heard this happening? story. I'm, my mouth's open. You know, I thought I'd heard it's it all. A, a crucified mouse? Yeah, yeah upside down <laughs> crucified mouse. And the, they interviewed one of the parents. This is in Russia. And he's like, I just thought they were hanging out in the graveyard. He had no concept. You know, the graveyard isn't exactly where the spot I want <laughs> yeah. to yeah. you know, There may be a tip-off there. But I think parents need to get involved with what their kids are listening and to. Sometimes and people what think the only problem is, is rap music or rock music. But, you know, you really need to be aware of all the kinds of music and be discerning. I, I, I can remember, for example, a song by Glenn Campbell um, uh, about uh, the cowboy song that he sang about. Gentle I, on my mind. Uh, no, no, it's the the one about uh, I'm I'm the cowboy and I'm going to New York and I'm going to walk over anybody I have to walk over to get in that spotlight. Mm. Well, you know what kind of a philosophy is that? Yeah. Rhinestone cowboy. Rhinestone cowboy. I'm sure. going to be the rhinestone, and if I have to walk over, I'll walk over them all yeah. to get to the top. Or uh, some of the country and western songs that. Uh, that uh, oh, now brother. Know, I mean, I, I hear I hear the TV says second off. Now, this is you know? sacred. But I mean, you listen to a lot of them, and and what are they about? They're about running around on the old lady. I know. Getting drunk. That's the night in exactly. jail, and it glorifies. It. Yeah, the way exactly. You play it backwards. You get your dog, your pickup, <laughs> yeah, and your I wife know, all back. I know. I know. But <laughs> it, 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 you can find, even in. Pop music in a song like um, uh, Frank Sinatra's uh, song, I Did It My Way. Sure. I did it my way. Who cares about God's way? I did it my way. Well, let's let's warn people to be careful. Just don't take the sound of the music and think that's all you have to be concerned with. Let's look at the philosophy that's being taught by it. Because as a musician, I knew the power of music. I recorded people who went on to win Grammy Awards. Kenny G, for one, the the group Queensryche. I helped do the tape that got their record deal for them. And I look at those and I think, you know, the power of the influence. Queensryche, by the way, was the first group I ever saw that, in, that encouraged people to follow a global government in a one world order. Oh. Oh, I, and I had no idea. I saw a quote from their lead singer about five years after they made it. This, this is a terrifically talented guy. But he says, we're, we're just here to try to encourage kids that are people that listen to us with never use the word kids, that uh, they should follow a one-world government. That, that should be the thing that will solve our problems. I mean, I had no idea. So I can blame you that my wife listens to Kenny G all the time? <laughs> uh, there's a prayer of deliverance I can give you later. <laughs> on. Eric, I have a, a video of yours here called The Most Dangerous Cult. And uh, I'd like to invite you to come back next week and discuss that with us. Would you be willing Great. to? Great. Love to. Okay. And you know what? Uh, I saw something on your website about this, and I thought, oh, he's talking about the Mormons or the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Masons. Wasn't any one of those. So uh, I hope our folks will be tuned in next week to find out which one it is. Before we close, though, would you look right into that camera in front of you and tell folks how they could get in touch with your ministry? Sure. Uh, the best way is just go to ericbarger.com on the Internet, E-R-I-C-B-A-R-G-E-R.com. And for those who don't have um, an Internet connection or are not on the Web, our uh, office phone number is 214-289-5244. And you can contact us for information, for any of the videos and information we have on the website, some of my books or, of course, for uh, seminars. I travel all over the country. 
Well, folks, that's our program for this week. Until next week, the Lord willing, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. Today's program is included in a DVD album called Defending the Faith. All four of our half-hour programs with Eric Barger are included in this information-packed DVD. Few people can keep up with all the information and misinformation concerning cults and false religions. So now you can get authoritative, biblically solid teaching on these constantly changing topics. Eric has immersed himself in the study of the cults and you could benefit from his 25 years of research. Purchase this DVD for yourself and for your church library as a great learning resource for home Bible study groups, Sunday school classes, family viewing, and individual study. Topics covered are the New Age movement, universalism, the emergent church movement, popular books with heretical teachings, apostasy in the church, the problem with doctrinal ignorance among Christians, and how to defend one's faith. This wonderful DVD album containing all of our programs with Eric Barger is available for a gift of $15 plus the cost of shipping and handling and can be ordered by visiting lambline.com or by calling the number on your screen. On our website, click on the TV Offers button. Defending the Faith is cataloged as D53. While on our website, look for the button to sign up for our e-newsletter and the electronic version of our Lamplighter magazine. The 20-page bi-monthly Lamplighter contains in-depth articles about Bible prophecy and editorials linking prophecy with current events. Our e-newsletter is sent out every other week and also focuses primarily on prophetic news and events. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 